Great. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Welcome. Uh, just to extend my welcome, if it's your first time or umpteenth time, uh, you're really welcome. And a special welcome to my dad. There you go. Now you have to work out who, who, who do you think my dad is. That's where you got to work. Yeah, that one there, the good looking one. Of course he is. The handsome one in his 70s. So, uh, welcome dad. So, um, as some of you know, we've been doing a mini series called uh, On the Road, and that's what we've been looking at. And um, one of the key themes has been about being on the road is the number of roads that seem to appear in the Bible. And the number of journeys that people seem to take. Jesus seems to be ever walking about, doesn't he? Kind of wandering around from place to place. A lot of Old Testament stories, that's before Jesus turns up, are people pottering around from place to place. And um, one thing you'll notice that every one of these stories have in common, which we've looked at, we've looked at the Damascus Road, remember that one? No, we didn't really focus on that, did we? Just mentioned it. That's the one I forgot to do. But, uh, the Damascus Road, and then uh, Sarah did us the Emmaus Road, and then we're on the road to Jerusalem with uh, Rach last week. In all those situations, there's one thing in common, which was simply this, was that when people are walking and moving and doing something, God does something. That's the connection. Simple, really, when you think about it, isn't it? When people are walking and moving and doing something, God does something. When people are stationary and kind of immobile, not not physically, but kind of spiritually, not able, not doing anything, not taking any steps forward in their faith, it looks like not much happens. But when people start walking and moving, I don't necessarily mean literally, but when moving about with God and trying to do something for God, even if they're not sure what they're doing, it seems that in the Bible, God always turns up. So as an old wise saint said, I don't know who said this, uh, but someone said uh, that God can't move, can't, no, start again, uh, that's another quote, God can't guide stationary feet. God only guides... People like that. There's a lot of nods to that. I'll sit down now. I said that. No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, God, uh, God can only guide moving feet. It makes sense, doesn't it? If we're not kind of going anywhere with God, God won't sort of seem to do anything with us because God tends to like moving and doing stuff and keeping things going. He's got some plans up his sleeve to renew Dudley and the renew the world and things like that. So as we get moving and get doing stuff for God, it's in those road moments that God comes and meets with us. And that's what every one of these stories that we've looked at have in common. It's when people are moving, when they're trying to do something, whether they're fed up with uh, Emmaus Road, whether uh, Paul is going to go and kill some people. I mean, that's a that's a thing to go out your door to do, isn't it? Uh, go and kill some people, uh, or whether it's kind of they're just following Jesus around. It's when they're on the move, God does something. It's because God is essentially a God who's on the move and only can guide moving feet. He can't guide stationary feet because we're not going anywhere. So my, I've discovered in my life, it's when you start doing something, even if the thing that you're doing might be wrong or you've got no idea if God's telling you to do it, you start doing something, very soon God turns up and things start to happen. You say yes to an idea about starting a church in a kind of 800-year-old building. And you think, might as well, I've got no other office. I mean, God really wanted me to do that. And uh, you step out and you find, actually, it's resonating. There's other people who are thinking, yeah, we, we want to do something fresh. We want to do something new. We want to kind of combine the old kind of liturgy with some modern songs and see how we get on. That there's that kind of a movement happening. Because when we start to move, God starts to move. It seems that kind of correlation, something seems to happen. So the story we've got uh, this afternoon is no exception. And it's, um, uh, it's from Acts chapter 8. 
It's quite a short story, and two people are going to come and read it to us in a moment. Um, But it's a very powerful story, and it's a very impactful story. And it's one of those stories in the Bible that, um, not that you'd miss, but we don't always grasp how... Uh, I'm going to say this about every bit of the Bible, don't I? Yeah, uh, how radical it is, how, how impactful it is. And so we're going to read a story that Susan and Carlo are going to read to us. It's from Acts chapter 8. Can't remember the verses, but if you want to look in your Bible or switch it on or whatever, if you go in Acts chapter 8, it's the story of Philip uh, and the uh, eunuch. And it's a story when uh, Philip, you'll find that Philip, the kind of background is that he's, he's been in Samaria. So he's an evangelist. You know, he's out doing stuff, telling people about Jesus. So he's out there doing some stuff. Um, and actually, he's seeing amazing things happen. So it's like kind of a, we'd call it a revival. You know, lots of people come to know Jesus. Everyone wants to hear kind of what Philip has to say. There's lots of kind of power encounters with God. And there's lots of kind of people trying to move in on it and take over it. And there's sort of demonic powers. And it's all like a great big, it's a God channel fest. You know, people would love it. There's all this kind of revival stuff happening. And right in the middle of it, God says to Philip via an angel, he said, uh, this is brilliant what you're doing. I'm loving the whole kind of, you know, revival thing. It's great for the stats. The Church of England are pleased and all that. He didn't actually say that bit, but that's, that was the gist. Uh, then he said, but what I really want you to do, um, there's a road called the Desert Road. I want you to go there and um, I'll let you know what you're going to do when you get there. So God takes them out of this, you know, like an old-fashioned, not old-fashioned revival. But do you understand what I mean? That kind of a dynamic moment where lots of people are coming to know Jesus. Lots of stuff is happening. He looks like, you know, he's, he's the one who, you know, you can't do without him. God says to him via an angel, I want you to go over to the desert road. And when you get there, we'll work out what you do. So Philip then goes over to the desert road, which, guess where that is? In the desert. Sharp today. Uh, so he goes in the desert road. He starts posturing along and he's, he's moving. Philip's moving again. You remember what we're saying? He's, he's on the move. And he's literally, you'll see in the passage, he's running. He's getting ready for part one. He is running along to keep up with the chariot. And then after he has this encounter with this eunuch and he baptizes them, they come out of the water. Then there's a really cheeky little verse which you'll hear where it says the spirit of God um, took him out and plonked him somewhere else. It's just mind-blowing stuff that he just kind of came out of the water and God said, you know, like a teleport thing. It took him and threw him some, not threw him, I don't know, maybe threw him, I don't know. But anyway, he went somewhere else. In other words, Philip, he's on the move because he realizes if he's on the move, then stuff will happen around him. So we're going to hear that reading. Is that okay? That's cool. So Suze is going to uh, first and then uh, Carlo. This is Acts 8, 26 to 40. Philip and the Ethiopian. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way, home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet the spirit told Philip go to that chariot and stay near it then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet do you understand what you were reading Philip asked how can I he said unless someone explains it to me so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, 
so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Brilliant. Thank you, Carlo. Thank you, Suze. Did you get the little bit at the end where it says off he went somewhere else? That's, that's how he rolls. So you might, as you were listening to that, you may have been thinking, yeah, I've got the whole moving bit, but what's, what's so kind of interesting about this passage? And, and why is it so scandalous? And why is it so, um, why are you so excited about it, James? Why is it so impactful? What, what is it about that story that makes it kind of stand out and shine and, and is, is something that's quite different than other passages in the book of Acts and other moments? So uh, I want us to look at two things really briefly, and then I've asked um, Freddie uh, to bring a, a reading, which will a different uh, kind of reading, which will really unpack uh, why this story is so amazing and so um, inf- impactful. You've probably noticed the sun's gone down, haven't you? And there's that little chill, but um, we're strong, we're tough, we can cope, cope with it, and um, we're not on the desert road, are we? On the Dudley sort of chilly road. So... Anyway, you may be thinking, the first thing to notice is about the eunuch, and then we're going to think about Jerusalem. So um, the eunuch, um, he wouldn't have been a eunuch by choice. The likelihood is, is that he was chosen, and he would have had uh, his uh, a delicate operation, which wouldn't have been so delicate uh, in those days, in order that he would serve the queen or the king of his country. That's why that was his... It wasn't his choice, actually. That was his destiny. That's what he was chosen. He didn't choose that. He was chosen. And the reason they would uh, choose eunuchs for that role, because they knew that they would never have uh, children, they would never marry, they would never reproduce. They knew they didn't quite fit any particular stereotype of gender, neither completely male or not completely female. They were this sort of in-between, as they would understand it in those days. And they could therefore, the king or the queen could trust that person because there was no other loyalty. No other loyalty except to the king, except to the queen that they served. And this particular eunuch, he served the queen of Ethiopia. As a side note, this is how the gospel gets into Africa, by the way. This is the, this is our, the founder of the um, African church. So that's what it means to be um, a eunuch. And that's uh, his kind of, his, as it were, his background, his story. He didn't quite fit the normal gender stereotypes. He didn't quite fit the normal racial stereotypes. He didn't quite fit. Got the idea? Didn't quite fit. So that's a little bit about him. We'll come on to him a little bit later. But then the other thing to know is Jerusalem. So he's coming back for Jerusalem. So he's gone to Jerusalem. He's gone there uh, to worship. So there's something quite spiritual about this person, this eunuch. He's gone to Jerusalem, he wants to worship, but he's coming uh, back from Jerusalem. Now here's the thing, he would have gone to Jerusalem and soon discovered 
because he didn't fit, because of what had happened to him and his, who he is as a person, that he wasn't allowed into the temple. He wasn't even allowed into the outer courts. In fact, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, I won't uh, read it to you, it's slightly painful to read it, but that will explain why the Jews and the people of those days wouldn't allow him anywhere near or in the temple. So he's travelled from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem in a chariot, which, I mean, I'm no geography expert, but that feels like a long way to me. All that way, only to be discovered that, you know, to put it bluntly, he didn't fit in, he wasn't welcome in that kind of church. He wasn't, what well, wasn't church, you understand what I mean, but he wasn't welcome in that kind of worship. He, he wasn't allowed in. He was on the outskirts. He, had, he didn't fit in. He wasn't a typical male. He wasn't typical female. He wasn't kind of Jewish. He was Gentile. It was a different type of Gentile. It was just, he was, if there was a box tick that you could say wrong fit, he ticked every single one of them. So he went all that way unable to participate in the worship that he went all that way for. So that's why in Acts it says he's coming back from Jerusalem. And if, you, if we had kind of been in that first generation, we would have got the message. We would have understood that generation who kind of pulled the stories together. We would have understood that what the writer is telling us is this chap went all the way to Jerusalem. And because he's a eunuch, Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, he wasn't allowed to worship. He wasn't allowed in the temple. He wasn't allowed in even the outer courts. He didn't quite fit. So that's his heartbreaking story. I mean, it's, it's annoying going to church when it's a long way and it's a little bit chilly, isn't it? And you've got to, you know, but, but the, the fact that you go all that way and you find your body doesn't fit, doesn't fit, and you're rejected must have been absolutely devastating. So he had a unique identity. So he's on the way back. But what an amazing man, amazing character, that he's on the way back, and yet there's something about the eunuch that he's still wanting to read the scriptures. There's something about that person that's saying, despite what, I guess you could say, the, you know, to put it in our terms, the church or the institutional church say I'm still really intrigued by this prophet I'm still really intrigued by this story in the Bible the story that the Bible is telling me I'm really intrigued about this other story that is being told that my experience of the big temple doesn't seem to convey anymore there's another story going on and that story is in the Bible and that's far more kind of resonating with with him with me than it is in the story that I was being told and being given by the big kind of institutions of the day and he's reading it and he's reading it and he's reading it. So I wonder whether, Carlo, would you just mind reading the Isaiah? Sorry, I've put your phone away, haven't you? <laughs> uh, um, reading, I haven't got my Bible, uh, an old, you know, paper one um, on me. Just listen again. I know we've heard it before. Just listen again. Remember, remember his story. Click his, his story. And then listen again to the actual passage that the eunuch was engaging with. Is that all right? Just finding it. Uh, okay. It's 32. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, Acts 8:32. He was led like, a, like sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
I wonder why he's interested in that passage. I wonder why. And he says to Philip, Who's, who are we talking about here? Because I'm resonating with this person. I'm resonating with this person that didn't have any choice, but was led like a lamb to the slaughter. I, I, I know I had that kind of happen to me. This whole thing of cutting, and I know about that. And this person who doesn't have any future generations, that's like me. I'm a eunuch. My, my future was taken away from me without my, with no choice of my own. I was enslaved to this way of life. And he's reading this Isaiah passage about Jesus. And he's thinking, who is this prophet talking about? Is it himself or is it somebody else? Because I resonate with that person who was denied justice. I resonate with that person who's got no future generations. I resonate with that person who was forced to, like a sheep, you know, being led like a lamb to the slaughter and their shearer being cut. I can resonate with that person. And something very deep is going on, I think, in the eunuch as he's reading that passage. And there's like electricity passing. There's something happening where he's thinking, this is really freaky. I'm kind of reading about myself here. But I'm sure Isaiah, as lovely as I am, was not prophesying about me. I'm sure he was prophesying about somebody else. And there's something really deep and profound going on because he's seeing himself in that story but he's also beginning to see a different story about God than the one he's been given in the institutional church, the institutional temple. And he's beginning to see a story about a God who's vulnerable, a God who suffers injustice, a God perhaps who is denied certain things because of the way he lived. Now what I want to do now is that there's, um, I want Freddie to come up and uh, read for us. Because there's a writer called Brian McLaren who summed this up far better than I could ever preach it or name it. And um, Freddie's going to read it. He may read it th- uh, twice through. And uh, I'd really encourage you just to engage with it as Brian kind of expands on this. Do you want the mic or are yeah, you? So, orchestrated official has come to worship in Jerusalem. But he has undoubtedly been turned away. His racial and sexual identities have put him outside the worshipping community. In this light, do you feel the full pang of the question he asks as the chariot passes some water? I've been rejected and humiliated in Jerusalem. But you have told me of a man who, like me, has no physical descendants. A scarred and wounded man who, like me, has been humiliated and rejected. Is there a place for me in God's kingdom? Even though I have an unchangeable condition that was condemned forever by the sacred Jewish scriptures. Philip doesn't speak. Nor does he leave for Jerusalem to consult with the apostles there. Nor does he convene a a five-year committee to study the subject. Instead, he simply acts. The audacity of his actions is seldom appreciated, I fear, as the horses are reined in and the chariot comes to a stop in a cloud of dust, he leads the eunuch down from the chariot and into the water. And there he baptizes him. The sign of the kingdom of God that began in Jesus, a place at the table for outcasts and outsiders, continues in the era of the Acts of the Apostles. The poor are accepted and the sick 
Samaritans are accepted and Gentiles, including Africans, and here even the sexually other, those considered defective, those who will never have a place in traditional religion or in the traditional culture based on the traditional family, the old other excluding sanctions against the uncircumcised, against the defective, even those they were claimed to be in effect throughout their generations, have been buried in baptism, left behind as part of the old order that is passing away, as Philip and the Ethiopian disciple climb the stream bank, they represent a new humanity emerging from the water, dripping wet and full of joy, marked by a new and radical reconciliation in the kingdom of God. So our castrated official has come to worship in Jerusalem. But he has undoubtedly been turned away. His racial and sexual identities have put him outside the worshipping community. In this light, do you, do you feel the full pang of the question he asks as the chariot passes some water? I've been rejected and humiliated in Jerusalem, but, but you have told me of a man who, like me, has, has no physical descendants, a scarred and wounded man who, like me, has been humiliated and rejected. Is there a place for me in God's kingdom? even though I have an unchangeable condition that was condemned forever by the sacred Jewish scriptures. See, Philip doesn't speak, nor does he leave for Jerusalem to consult the apostles there, nor does he convene a a five-year committee to study the subject. Instead, he simply acts. The audacity of his action is seldom appreciated, I fear. As the horses are reined in, he leads the eunuch down from the chariot and into the water. And there he baptizes him. The sign of the kingdom of God that began in Jesus. A place at the table for outcasts and outsiders continues in the era of the Acts of the Apostles. The poor are accepted and the sick Samaritans are acceptors and Gentiles, including Africans, and here, even the sexually other, those considered defective, who will never have a place in traditional religion or the traditional culture based on the traditional family. The old, other excluding sanctions against the uncircumcised, against the defective, even though they were claimed to be in effect throughout their generations, have been buried in baptism left behind as part of the old order that is passing away. As Philip, an Ethiopian disciple, climb the stream bank, they represent a new humanity, emerging from the water, dripping wet and full of joy, marked by a new and radical reconciliation in the kingdom of God. Amen. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's, uh, that's well, artic- well, I wish I could write like that. Just two things just to close with. And what we're going to do, we're going to create a bit of space for prayer. So rather than just leave these ideas floating, we want to try and um, kind of pray about them, actually. And we're going to have some simple responses and ways of doing that in, throughout our building. But just two things really to note. Um, the first is um, how brilliant Philip was. 
wasn't he? What, what a good sort of practical um, chap who wasn't sort of didn't have a bishop in the background, uh, um, you know, uh, wor- worrying about this is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. And he didn't do an alpha course or, uh, you know, he didn't do he didn't kind of cro- tick all the boxes before he could be baptized. Philip saw God at work and acted on it. And he had that audacity. He had, I mean, thankfully, he, got, he didn't have to hang around either, did he? He got zapped off somewhere. Uh, but he had, that, he had that kind of audacity and that strength to act. And I wonder whether uh, part of our calling at Top Church is to kind of um, to be the Philip or the Philippa, uh, you know, to have that kind of spirit and that willingness at times to be bold and to act and to baptize, which we're doing on the 23rd. The second thing just to note is this. Um, one of the first leaders of the Christian church was a non-heterosexual uh, person who wasn't white. And um, most of our church leaders are, are what? Me included, white, male, heterosexuals. But that's not how the church really got going. And there's something there as well that we've still got as the Church of England and as the church more work to do on in ensuring that everybody is, is welcomed in our churches, however we identify with ourselves. And more than that, can find their place in serving God through their uh, vocation. Not just welcomed at service, but their vocation and their calling. It's also affirmed and welcomed. And that's part of our role as much as we can here at Top Church. And that beautiful picture, isn't there, at the end, of those two people coming out of the baptism and, and just celebrating the new life in the kingdom uh, is just such a wonderful picture to end with. So I hope this little story about being on the road, I hope it's kind of opened up perhaps some different ways of seeing it or engaging with it and realizing that, you know, this is all before uh, Peter started pottering off to the Gentiles and Paul had his big ministry and, you know, everyone's writing about him. This was Philip just kind of getting on with it and doing some incredible, amazing stuff, which actually the impacts have, were felt, you know, miles away from the apostles. Could probably <laughs> probably a good idea keep it away from them you know and as he went back to africa and ethiopia and shared the gospel and the rest they say uh, is history so but we want to kind of live with some of that and we want to pray into that and respond to that so uh, in a in a moment or so, uh, two uh, esther and chris will come up and play and uh, perhaps lead a little bit of teze chanting some songs you'll be familiar with sorry that's not um, working today but there's a number of areas where we can respond to this as a church um, the first is by our font there. Uh, we've got baptisms on the 23rd, which uh, we're really excited about. But by the font, you'll see some uh, like, uh, post-it notes and some pens. And um, you'll be really welcome just to go there and write some prayers for people who are going to be bap- uh, being baptized on the 23rd. But more than that, others we want to see being baptized who thought, perhaps like the eunuch, I'd never be baptized. I could never picture myself. You know, let's have that the kind of Philip spirit come us and be brave. So let's pray for that. And that's, uh, our, you know, our, the little side note here. Our, eight, our font is eight-sided and our church is eight-sided because the eighth day stands for new beginnings, new creation. It's the eighth day of creation. It's very uh, cool kind of symbolism. So pray for that and maybe write it on our, the sticky notes and post it uh, on a font. But don't, please don't pull anything of the font off. It's, it's fragile, so it's very important. So uh, just gently place your post-it notes on there. Uh, over there by that altar there, I've got copies of the story that you can read if you haven't got your phone or Bible with you that you might want to sit there and just reread that and just think, 
I've just got to process some of that stuff. I've also got the quote that Freddie read as well on the green paper there. So maybe you just want to go over there and just think, that was a lot of info, and I just want to take a moment and just kind of process and read some of that and let it, and let it dwell over me a little bit. Then at the, at the high altar there, we've got a number of things. We've obviously got candles because we love lighting candles. And, uh, but particularly I want people there to be praying and thinking about uh, what groups of people or individuals like the uh, eunuch feel excluded from church who think, if I go there, I'm going to have to be rejected. And maybe just stand there and pray for them and light a candle. And um, there's also some paper clips. Some people like to make things. You know, you can just kind of put paper clips together, as it were, of making a little chain, a little sign of saying, actually, we want to kind of link hands and open up to people who don't naturally feel part of church. So there's three ways in which I'd encourage us just to potter around and engage with these as a way of just letting some of those, that story kind of work its way through us. You may just want to sit here and pray and enjoy the music and enjoy Teze chanting. However uh, you want to engage, feel free to do so. But can I invite Chris and Esther to lead us in that? And I'll just say a prayer. And then as they start to play, just feel free to engage. We'll just do this for a few minutes. Then we'll come back together and say the Lord's Prayer and have a final song. But let's just allow this story to kind of shape us and respond to it and process it a bit. Loving God, we thank you that when we are on the move, it seems that you are on the move. And I pray for all of us as we kind of make up top church and those who aren't with us today, that we would always be a church that's on the move, that's asking questions, but being asked the questions as well by your scriptures. And I pray for us as a church that we might learn what it is to welcome those who feel that they don't fit, that they've been excluded from church in the past. May our doors be wide open. Lord, we pray for our font, sign of baptism, Lord, and we just pray for more people to be baptized, more signs of your new life, of your kingdom breaking through. Help us to be a bit more like Philip and less hesitant when we see you at work. And Lord, if there's stuff here we just need to process, I just pray that in these moments that you begin and walk with us as we process all these different ideas this wonderful story. Send your Holy Spirit, we pray, and be with us in these moments as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as Chris plays and Esther sings occasionally, feel free to respond in any of those areas.